Welcome to I Believe, exploring culture, philosophy, politics, and technology in America. I'm Joel Douglas, and I believe in America. Thanks for joining me. Today marks a year of weekly editions, the 52nd edition of I Believe. I'd like to thank you for reading. I learn a great deal from writing every article, and I hope you learn from reading or now listening to them. The name of this publication is I Believe Because I Believe in America. This journal isn't just a history lesson. America has some big problems, and we need to think through options to address them. Many essays have recommendations for what we should, or at least could, do to improve the nation. We need real solutions to make tangible improvements, and the way to arrive at real solutions is to think through potential options. America was the first essay in this publication. I learned a great deal about America this year, and I failed to include some key points, so I'm rewriting it. I believe in America. I believe in our America, born at war, that threw off the chains from its oppressive British government. For more than 3,000 days, we fought for freedom from the king's oppression. We were farmer citizens who fought redcoats. We didn't fight the British because we were still British. We fought redcoats because we were jailed for speaking out against the king. We were forced to house and feed soldiers without our consent and with no pay. We were forced to practice the official religion of the government. We were forced to pay taxes to the king with no representative for discourse. We were prohibited from trading with other nations. Everything had to go through the king's coffers. The historic Gadsden flag, yellow with a rattlesnake, portrays one of the nation's earliest mottos, Don't Tread on Me. It was a motto of our unity, a unified call for protection from tyranny. From Thomas Jefferson to Benjamin Franklin, founders touted the statement, Rebellion to tyrants is obedience to God. The United States of America is not perfect. There are stories of injustice for every example of someone rising to greatness. Slavery, a sitting U.S. vice president who killed a man. A civil war fought over slavery. Suppression of women's rights. We fought foreign wars to overthrow governments, killing thousands to protect U.S. business interests. And that was all before 1900. But America is more than our history of achievements or failures. It's more than the people or the land. America is an ideal. We are all created equal, and we can all become great. We don't all start from the same starting line, but we all share opportunity. Some Americans grow up in safe neighborhoods and attend high-performing schools. Others grow up in trailers or project housing. It's not easy for either group, but even the kids who grow up in trailers can achieve their view of greatness. Many Americans who come from humble beginnings dream of buying a house in a safe neighborhood with a good school for their kids, and they achieve their dream. They can heat the home and put food on the table. Some realize far beyond their expectations. Even refugee immigrants can start their own companies and become billionaires. Your societal class at birth does not decide your endpoint. Even self-educated Americans can hold our highest office. Consider President Lincoln, the epitome of the self-made leader. With little formal education, he ascended to the highest office, a testament to the unyielding power of self-belief and perseverance. I happen temporarily to occupy this big white house, Lincoln told the 166th Ohio Regiment in the summer of 1864. I'm a living witness that any one of your children may look to come here as my father's child has. Taken from excerpt from Soul of America, 
by John Meacham. Changing your social class in America is difficult, but it is possible. These stories of aspiration and success against all odds inspire us. They should also prompt us to action. To uphold equality, we must work tirelessly to dismantle structural barriers. We must invest in policies that level the playing field, such as improving educational opportunities, making college education more affordable, reforming the criminal justice system, ensuring equitable access to health care, and creating economic policies that uplift the impoverished. We take pride in the fact that greatness can sprout from any circumstance in America, but it's not enough to celebrate the exceptions. We must create a society where success is not an anomaly for the disadvantaged, but a tangible possibility for all. We all have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. These aren't just words. They're the foundation of the nation. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. These immortal words from the Declaration of Independence aren't a gift from the government. They are humanity's inherent rights. Life isn't within the power of government to bestow. Regardless of our spiritual convictions or the absence thereof, we stand united in the truth that life precedes the authority of man-made institutions. Nor does liberty or the ability to pursue happiness come from a ruling body. These are not concessions handed to us. They are our birthrights. People create governments to secure these rights. The Constitution echoes this purpose in its preamble. We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. The Constitution is not a grantor of liberty, but its guardian. We have the privilege to demonstrate personal liberty for the duration of our lives, freedom of speech and expression, freedom to worship in a manner we choose, even if we choose to reject religion, freedom to vote for our elected representatives, freedom to choose to serve the nation or not. Our rights are not the offering of a government. Our rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness are inherent to our human condition. Our democracy, not democracy. It's pivotal to delineate our governmental structure. We don't operate under a pure democracy. We're a democratic constitutional republic. As stated in our Constitution, the United States shall guarantee to every state in this union a republican form of government. The distinction isn't semantics. Pure democracy can devolve into the tyranny of the majority. If we had a pure democracy, our rights would change with the changing political party in power. Our republic, with its representative democracy, defends against momentary passions, securing rights in the long term. For instance, consider the public debates and legislative battles over issues such as health care, immigration reform, or climate change. In a pure democracy, these decisions would be made directly by popular vote, marginalizing the voices of others. However, in our constitutional republic, we elect representatives to, del to deliberate on our behalf. 
This system ensures we hear diverse voices, allowing minority groups and less populated regions to influence national policies. In times of intense polarization, as we've witnessed recently, our Republican structure is tested but proves its resilience. It frustratingly encourages coalition building and compromise, often requiring leaders to reach across the aisle to advance policies. It's a living, breathing system that shapes our daily lives, protects our rights, and continues to adapt to the will and needs of the people, albeit not without challenges and debate. This condition is not a recent phenomenon. Our founders knew this to be true. In the revered 1787 Federalist Paper No. 10, future President James Madison wrote of factions in America. These groups, ignited by their passions, had the potential to inflame societal division, especially if their objectives encroached upon the liberties of others. Madison's words resonate with enduring truth. Liberty is to faction what air is to fire, an element without which it instantly expires. To extinguish liberty to quell factionism would be as absurd as renouncing air to extinguish fire, disregarding that it's also essential for life. Though it may fuel factions, liberty is the lifeblood of a vibrant, free society. Liberty enables factions to survive, but removing liberty violates a self-evident right that is the basis for what it is to be American. As a result, we face a perpetual challenge. Liberty, the heart of the American ethos, creates the existence of factions. Factions, in turn, cause profound disagreement. However, in our republic, liberty is sacred. It allows us the privilege of personal expression, the right to dissent, and the duty to respect divergent exercises of these same freedoms by others, however contentious they may be. So we navigate the delicate balance, knowing that America relies on the liberty that empowers personal freedom while simultaneously creating division. This relationship demands our active engagement to respect and fight for the liberty of others, even when, especially when, they oppose our own views. Liberty is the cloth of the republic. The intricate balance between personal liberty and national division creates a resilient, enduring, free society. I believe in America. I can see a united America despite our current divisions. America isn't just land or a collective of individuals. It's an ideal that resonates through the ages. Liberty, opportunity, resilience. We share harsh truths. Though we fall short of the ideal, we press on. We drift apart and come together again because we all believe in the American ideal. We are all created equal, and we can all become great. We all have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We believe in our Republican democracy. May God bless the United States of America. Mm-hmm.